Hello and welcome to a brand new podcast on the Saturday at 3 Network. We're debuting our new show, the Rambling Jur podcast, and tonight we're going to take a deep dive into the Rangers transfer business over this January transfer window. Joining me tonight, I've got quite a packed group, so I'll start off by introducing our usual host, Chris. Chris, how are you this evening? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm okay. Uh, I'm, I suppose we'll get into, obviously, transfer discussion, uh, but in terms of Rangers' performances, I'm fine. In terms of transfer performances, not so fine, but we'll get into it. Yeah, we will, and that's the reason you're on, along with your tag team partner, the tag team <laughs> champions of disapproving, Dave Kerr. How are you doing, Dave? Ross Wilson out. I <laughs> was an early look into her opinion from Dave there then. So, of course, it's, it, w- it would be remiss of us not to have a bit of balance on the show. So we've also brought on two of our more positive podders. Um, we'll start off with Kenny. Kenny, how are you this evening? I'm good, thanks. Hope you're well, Eddie. Eddie, thanks, you, have, you have no idea what Kenny's going to say on this podcast, do you? <laughs> I know, I know. But normally he's positive. But if all else fails, we do have Mr. Positivity himself, the smoothest voice on the network, Andrew. Producer Andrew, how are you this evening? I'm doing lovely, Eddie, and flattery will get you everywhere. And I'm pleased to be on tonight as the token Ross Wilson Defender Club, so that's going to be fun. Yes, that's quite the title to give yourself in the first <laughs> ever episode of this. Absolutely. So what we'll do is we'll we'll start off by just analysing the all the signings that Rangers made over this window. Um, once we've discussed them, we'll discuss a couple of players we were heavily linked with. And then I'd like to just go around each of you, get a kind of review of the business that we've done over January, what you think was missing or what else you think we need to add come the summer. And then actually, I'd probably like to just dip in if it's OK with you guys and get an overall rating of Ross Wilson's job to date, given all the transfer windows that he's had in place. I'm sure that'll be a lot of fun for all of us and, of course, the listener. So just to start off with, um, obviously, we're first signing of the January transfer window came rather late. I think we'd already played five or six games um, since Christmas before this signing was over the line, as they say. And that is, of course, Todd Campwell. Um, he signed from Norwich, undisclosed fee, came in with quite a bit of um, excitement around him. He certainly, so far, in my opinion, has looked a decent signing. But what, um, in fact, do you know what is? I'm going to start off with positivity um, himself and go to Andrew. Andrew, what was your opinion on the Campwell signing? Uh, well, my English team's Norwich, so obviously I was pretty excited about that anyway. Um, but, I mean, he's um, he's what we'd been asking for, which was a midfielder um, that we spent money on. Uh, that's, that's fantastic as far as I was concerned. Um, in the limited kind of games that we've seen him in so far, he's looked impressive as well. Um, and he's certainly making all the right sounds. Uh, in terms of how he wants to play, um, he looks like a player who's keen to get on the ball. He's keen to get forward. He doesn't have a horrifying injury record, um, and he's not, uh, you know, in the wrong side of thirty. So, all in all, seems like a very positive transfer as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and that's a lot of good points. There, he definitely is the right age that we should be looking at, and um, he's come with a bit of pedigree about him. But you know. A lot of play, players do come up here from England with that pedigree and sometimes don't always live up to the expectations. So, Chris, I'm sure you'll be, I'm sure despite the positives from Campwell so far, you'll be able to give us a bit of a negative spin on this. But what, what's your take on the Campwell situation? I don't I don't think uh, with the two players that were signed uh, in particular that will have many negative slants other than um which I will come to when it comes to my kind of general statement other than the fact that they, they weren't in the starting lineup for the first game in February. But uh Todd Cantwell is I would describe as a rabbit out of the heart. It's one that we didn't see coming um towards the end of kind of December. Um if you were to tell me who do I think we might sign in the January window in December I think Raskin would have been there because he's been linked for the last um, couple of windows now, but Cantwell certainly wouldn't have been a name that I would have plucked out. And it was quite a pleasant surprise to see us linked with a player of his calibre. Now, he's obviously lost his way a wee bit, so I think that would be the, the negative side. But you can turn that negative into a positive and say that we can obviously help to rehabilitate him. So I'm really not doing much for your negative narrative now, right now, Eddie, because I'm... I'm fairly, fairly positive on, on the Cantwell um, deal. I think it will work out. And if it doesn't work out, it's not as if we've paid over the odds from because I actually think we've got him for a complete bargain when you consider 
18, 24 months ago, he's he's been touted for 25, 30, 35, 40 million pound moves to Newcastle, Liverpool, Arsenal, etc. So the fact that we've got him, I, I think there's kind of the reported fees like 1.5 million. Um, good age, as you say, good pedigree, played in the English Premier League, had a brilliant season in the English Premier League. Um, we were only going to get him if he continued in that trajectory. So it, it did have to take a bit of a um, sharp downward um, turn in order to obviously get him up here, which he has done. And I think I've seen enough so far um, in the very limited time that I've seen him to suggest that he's got the right attitude, he's got the attributes, um, and I think we can we can put put his career back in track. So no, I'm fairly positive um, for both signings. Actually, it's 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 more, more the negativity will come later on in the pod when it comes to the overall business that that we didn't we didn't do if if you will. So you've raised two very good points there. Now I'm going to address both of them separately um, with our other two members of the panel here. So Dave, I'm going to come to you first. Chris mentions that the only real negative with Campwell was that he wasn't available for the first game following the, the window opening. Now, obviously, it wasn't just the first game that he wasn't available for. We obviously left our business extremely late in this window. Um, and with Campwell being the first signing, and, and we'd already played five or six games by that point, just talk to me about your kind of opinion on why we've left our business so late and what the holdup is there and the negative or positive effects that'll have had with our business in the squad. Uh, I'm not sure why we've left it so late. I mean, I've got an idea that the club, the financial picture at this minute in time might not be ideal, or at least that the club has seemed to be sort of hinting at that. The people in charge of the transfer business might not be the best. Thankfully, though, while I agree, I'd like to have got these guys in early in the window, but like Celtic did. Thankfully, it's not bitten us because we've not lost or dropped any points or gone out any cups in the interim. So thankfully, it's just happens to have played it in such a way that it hasn't damaged us and therefore is is not yet another black mark in the Ross Wilson ledger sheet. But uh, I've got another negative. It can calm the TikToks down and all that. Carry on. <laughs> Videos of Todd Cantwell playing football. Yes, love them. Videos of Todd Cantwell doing literally anything else. Don't want to see them. How did I know that Dave would be the first person who'd have a, a negative opinion about Campbell's social media shit? But, <laughs> I like could have money on it. As a footballer, as what we've seen so far, he's a very bill signing, good, mobile, young, English, fits the profile we look for, sort of. Chris alluded to they are slightly damaged goods, having to essentially drop a level or several levels to come to Scotland when he was linked to Liverpool and so on. So we picked him up. If he does rebound... There's a big upside financially for us. There's a big upside on the park for us. And certainly, sort of appearances so far show that he's not frightened of the physical stuff. So despite what his TikTok demeanour might say, he doesn't mind getting stuck in. So just on that, though, you've mentioned that fortunately it hasn't impacted us negatively too much by leaving it so late. I'm going to just push back on that a little. So the only game we dropped points in since Beal's come into play has been the old firm. Now, if we had had Campwell sorted, agreed, signed up and in the door day one of the transfer window opening in the same way that Celtic had a number of their players in, how quickly he's come into the team. I mean, he played in that first game he was available. If he'd been available for that old firm, do you think he would have had much of a impact on it? Uh, I think it's fair to be, he'd only been here a day or so. I know he was only here a day or so in his first game, but I think that would have came a bit too early. And it's hard to tell with that just how early it was. Maybe he wouldn't have played because obviously his first game was a home game at St. Johnson, which is should be much more straightforward than the hustle and bustle in old firm. So at the risk of sounding as if I'm defending the strategy, which I'm not, I, I'm not sure it would have made a material difference in the squad. However, performances since the, he and Raskin came in have been better. So maybe there's a fire being lit under the squad. Maybe a sense of urgency could have been created earlier and Taking him the round, I would have preferred that we'd done our business early. Although, as I say, I'm generally of the opinion that, it, thankfully, it's no cost is too much. But you, you never know. Extra bodies in and a bit more intensity in that old firm game. And the, the picture might be slightly brighter than it already is, albeit it's not exactly glowing, but it might be slightly brighter. No, I think that's fair. You know, situations like this, it is just hypothetical. But I just thought it was worth asking the question. So the other point that 
Chris raised was um, obviously a few years ago, Campbell was hyped up quite a bit and, you know, he was linked with moves to, to Liverpool's and your Chelsea's and then he kind of lost his way a bit. So, Kenny, I'm going to come to you on this. What do you think is potentially the reason why Campbell lost his way? And also, how do you think the move to Rangers could help him reignite his career? Well, he's lost his way purely because uh, I think Norwich being a, that that kind of yo-yo club um, and with him struggling uh, this the second time they were in the Premier League, uh, he, he came across as a bit of a luxury player, I think. Uh, and I think he's just fallen by the wayside a little bit. It happens to a lot of young players, particularly down there. They, 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 they look as if they're superstars one minute and not in the team the next. It's, they've all got big, massive squads down there in the Premier League. Um, to me, I'm not quite sure why he's lost his way so much because, uh, you know, we, we were talking there, Dave and Chris were talking there about him uh, losing his way. And to me, I'll tell you what, he's, he's, he's turned up here and he doesn't look as if he's lacking confidence at all. Um, now, that might be a slight arrogance that, you know, young guys have, but he he looks a, an intelligent and clever player uh, and he doesn't look as if he's... Uh, lacking in any confidence at all, which is great to see. And I don't know if that's perhaps down to Michael Beale making him feel as important as he wants to be. And perhaps that's what's happened with him at Norwich. I'm not quite sure. I do know that he had a contract dispute and all the rest of it. A um, little bit of an attitude problem. But again, he's a kid and that, that kind of thing happens. So I'm not 100% sure. I, I don't know what you think yourself. But to me, he, he's turned up here and... You know, the game in a bit that he's played basically looks confident as you could be if, for a boy that's just turned up at a new club, doesn't he? Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I think he's turned up with a really great attitude. Um, someone who looks like he's ready to go, wants to prove himself, uh, and perhaps someone who does acknowledge that he'd lost his way a little bit and now he's got a chance to really kind of regain a bit of that kind of form and drive that he had previously when he was at Norwich in the Premier League. So I, I'm personally, I'm quite excited for what he can achieve at the club. Um, and certainly that first kind of appearance that he made against St. Johnston, I thought he looked lively and I'm looking forward to seeing him. And I'm, I'm hoping he's starting on uh, Saturday against Ross County because I think that's a really good game for him to really put a kind of marker on the start of his career as well. And I'll certainly be putting a couple of quid on him, getting a goal and an assist. Um, so we'll move on from there, and I think we, we're all kind of agreed that we're happy with that bit of business with Campwell. So a positive start to the transfer window diagnosis here, but um, we'll move on to Nicholas Raskin. So obviously, this is a player, as Chris mentioned, we've been linked with for quite a while. And then this transfer window, it just seemed to be every day we were getting more news about he'd signed one minute, he'd signed a pre-contract, the next minute he hadn't signed a pre-contract, then he'd signed a pre-contract and we'd agreed a fee. Then the next minute we hadn't had any negotiations ongoing with him at the because um, we hadn't agreed a fee with the club and there was no pre-contract going. Then the day before the window shut, we were getting the reports that the fee had been agreed and everything was sorted. But then Rangers, in typical Rangers fashion, made his way. And he wasn't actually announced until the last day of the window, coming round about kind of 1 p.m. ish, I think it was, um, which obviously left us all assuming there would be another signing, which we'll we'll come on to. But at 1 p.m., we did finally get our man, and I think all of Rangers' Twitter at least breathed a, a collective sigh of relief. Um, and again, another midfielder. So, Chris, since you had the most to say about Raskin in that kind of conversation about Camwell, I'll come to you on Raskin. So, give us your thoughts on the the whole Raskin situation, the the lead into signing him. The is he coming? Is he not coming? And then eventually getting him over the line. Yeah. So this is where the kind of negativity will kind of kick in for me. Uh, so to be clear, first and foremost, Nico Raskin, I'm delighted with getting him in the door. Um, seems to be exactly what we've needed. Over the last couple of years, he's going to be a new type of midfielder. Will hopefully take us up a level or two. Uh, right age, gained good pedigree, played in a decent league, played a lot of European games. Um, and uh, I don't know if I said the right age, but I'll, I'll reiterate it, right age again. So um, massive positive. Um, so you can't be unhappy with the signing, which I'm not. So I just want to make that clear. Both Todd Cantwell and Nico Raskin, Delighted that I've got both of them as players for my club. 
But the Raskin deal epitomises uh, everything that, in my opinion, is wrong about Rangers' transfer strategy. Now, Nico Raskin was out of contract, so when that generally happens, the ball goes into the court of the club who are looking to buy rather than um, the, the, the the selling club having all the aces because they don't they, they know that this player can can freely talk to any other club that he wants. We can approach Nico Raskin directly and speak to him directly without getting any permission from Stanley Edge, which I believe we did do anyway. However, we, we were allowed to do that from the 1st of January and we signed him on the 31st of January. And the, the reason, obviously, it took so long was because we were trying to negotiate a fee to bring him in earlier, pretty much like... John Suter last season, where we agreed the contract and then we looked to try and get the fee done so that we could get him in that January. And all the noises from every single Rangers fan back then was, nah, wait till the summer. Myself included. Um, I did want Suter over the line, but when I heard about Hearts uh, quite cheekily wanting a, a sell-on um, clause inserted, I was like, nah, I, I, I would rather wait. Um, and then obviously Standard Liege asked for the same sort of deal they asked, I believe it was £2 million with 20% sell-on. They did not budge from that from day one. And we, I believe, low-balled them in terms of £2 million, which is fine. Uh, we low-balled them in terms of not putting a, an add-on in at all. Um, I think it moved up to one5 and then 10%. And then on the 31st of January, we paid £2 million with a 20% add-on. Uh, whatever way you look at it, it's not clever. It's really poor. We eventually paid the asking price, so why wasn't it done on the 5th of January? People could say, yeah, we'll try to negotiate a better price. But the fact of the matter is we didn't negotiate a better price. Um, and we ended up looking like we were the ones who didn't have the power when we should have been the ones that had all the power in the world to get this deal over the line. Still bamboozles me why we didn't um, secure Raskin in a pre-contract and then go to standard age. Don't understand why that never happened at all. We seem to have just negotiated directly with Standard Liège and then negotiated the contract. Um, and the most the most perplexing thing for me was we we, we gave into the the sell on fee, which listen I get the arguments. If we sell him for you know fifteen twenty million pounds in a couple of years time, we get eighty percent of that. It's still fantastic business. Yes, of course it is. But Standard Liège are going to benefit from a player that they were going to lose for nothing. Um, and yeah, this is where the kind of hypocritical nature, the or should I say the, the fickle nature of being a Rangers fan kicks in. Literally 99% of the Rangers fan base didn't want Suter because of the sell-on fee in January. Yet there's there's a large percentage, I would say maybe 80%. Obviously, it's just a complete guess guesstimate that. But from what I can see anyway, we all seem pretty comfortable with that. And, you know, for me, it was desperation. Um, not to uh, not to land the player uh, as such. It was desperation to get it over the line because this had been rumbling on for the full month. And if Rangers were prepared to wait to the summer, which they probably were thinking it sometimes, they knew they would have copped it. So instead, they've done a what, what's on paper, uh, not not a favourable deal, um, really because Standard Liège have already got the €2 million Euros in the bank and, and they potentially could get, let's just say we sell them for £10 million, that's another million pound, uh, sorry, £2 million pound that they'll get for a player they were leaving for, uh, that was leaving for nothing. So I, I just, I don't understand. I do not understand our um, strategy. I don't understand why we waited to the last day when, by all intents and purposes, the Raskin deal was in the pipeline from the 1st of January. Um, I, it just, it just, completely blows my mind um and it's it's very very ross wilson's ross wilson and um, this is a guy who has no qualms about giving three million pound to uh you know shelker for rabbi matondo and giving him a 30 grand a week contract but you know he wants to piss about and wait about for a player that we actually really need so um i don't get the deal but i certainly get the player um he's going to be a fantastic signing um I mean, don't get me wrong, signings have risks and he could turn out to be a flop. Of course he can. Um, but he fits, he ticks a lot of boxes. Um, and if it doesn't work out, it's this one won't be through the, through the fault of the kind of recruitment team in terms of identifying them. But certainly the, the way we went about our business was, um, I, I, in a strong term, I would say it was quite shambolic, quite embarrassing, embarrassing. Okay. And so there's three major kind of talking points I want to go over with the Raskin situation so 
I'm going to do them in order of how they've come about themselves. So the first one you've you've touched on there with the negotiations and the eventually giving in to the fee that was wanted. So that that for me highlights heavily on Ross Wilson, the job he's doing, which we will dig into deeper as an overall thing. But just in this deal in in itself. Um, so Dave, I'm going to come to you because I know Ross Wilson. Talking about Ross Wilson is probably your favorite thing to do. Just <laughs> give us your opinion on his transfer strategy um just in relation to the raskin deal we'll get into the, the wider transfer strategy but what you think was going through his head and how he's ended up going from day one where he can speak to a, a player sign him on a pre-contract hold all the cards and actually has decided to say nah balls to that i'm going to go all out and try and play hardball and ended up actually just giving away everything i what's going on he said who knows it's it's hard not to get into the deeper elements of it because it's <clears throat> what we've seen and what we are seeing, I think, is a man completely out of his depth with regard to running a transfer strategy, negotiating or putting together some sort of coherent plan with the slight exception that I, th- I do think the two signings are good and they do seem to be following some sort of strategy, albeit Beal possibly has a, ha- has a hand in this. It's weak negotiating to, as you've said, as Chris said, be in a position where you can hold all the cards and then not only sort of give that up, but give away every single card that you do hold by caving in. It may have been prudent to have, and presumably we'll be signing at least one more midfield on the summer. So if you've got the right strategy in place, identify similar targets and bring one of them in now, get Raskin on the pre-contract. I think we'd have been comfortable with that if it was another permanent signing and it was two in and Raskin a pre-contract. It might have sort of soothed the blow a wee bit of only signing two. But we've had to go back cap in hand in the last day. We don't have any other options. This guy's the only option. Raskin probably himself has played hardball in that situation by going, right, I'll just wait till the summer. I'll just wait till I'm a completely free agent and see what's happening then because we've not been able to get the pre-contract over the line for whatever reason. So we've been left high and dry and had to go cap in hand to Raskin himself and Liege in the last day of the window. It doesn't really suggest that there's a good, strong, tied-up transfer strategy in the much-vaunted approach in the early days of Bill and Gerard of, oh, we get our business done, there's no leaks, players are just announced. I remember the one in particular that stands out is Roof, who just appeared when he was announced, and I've went, fucking hell, I've just signed the next Premier League player, and nobody really knew. That seems to have gone, because Cantwell and Raskin were pretty much open secrets from very early in the well, before the window. So... Again, we're back putting black marks in the Ross Wilson column. But uh, as Chris, well, Chris said, he wouldn't have paid the money or alluded to not paying the money. I think we, in this situation, we probably had to because we can't go into fighting for two trophies with a midfield that comprises Jack, who'll miss a chunk of the games, Lundstrom. The, I think the, the, the point the point about that is I, I, I'm no disappointed about paying the money. It's the fact that why didn't we just pay it? Aye, aye, I, I know what you mean, but I, I think in this case, I was I was on board with Suter, I still said, fuck hearts, they can just wait for it, but this year, Kamara has been in a team and used in different roles, Lundstrom, hot and cold, Jack injured, Davis out for the season, Arfield and Tillman are deep line midfielders, we needed bodies in there, unfortunately that meant paying it, and if Raskin had been under contract, we'd have had no qualms about paying the two million, so uh, these aren't necessarily great logical reasons but I think we just have to look at it in the round and say right okay we've got a player who I think and I think we all agree will be a quality addition I'm sure we'll come on to his talents in a minute for a fee and we just have to take it but nonetheless it doesn't mean you don't give Ross Wilson the side eye for what we perceive as failings in this particular uh, signing I think that's fair and I think for me and this is purely hindsight we didn't pay the um the fee and the the add-on for, or the you know the um percentage uh, fee for suitor last january transfer window and i i was totally against paying that totally um against giving it to hearts considering we'd had him on the pre-contract but actually in hindsight bringing in suitor at that point could have done us a huge turn uh, and we were in a strong position in the league and unfortunately we all know that kind of went away and suitor had himself a decent season so in hindsight I probably would have preferred we'd paid it for Suter and not for Raskin when we're sitting in the position we're in. But that being said, Raskin comes in, turns us round, gives us a really strong finish to the league and we end up with a cup double then. Actually, I, I'm not 
that fast no matter what we paid for him um, and going forward I'm sure he will be a quality player so you know we'll perhaps pick this up in the summer and that where opinions on paying that fee and, and giving them the sell on might have changed but just in regards to the actual talent that he has or what we're expecting him to bring to the team Kenny I don't know if you know much about Raskin the player um, if you've got much you want to add on just what you're expecting to see from him I haven't seen a huge amount of him, Eddie, but what I will say, to go back to what Chris and Dave have just said there, uh, listen, I, I think there might be a, a little bit of an issue with the boy Raskin himself in terms of... Uh, you think he's a bit uh, of a Raskin? Yeah, that's exactly it. No, I, being serious, I, I think the boy was leaving standard liaise regardless that at the end of this window because he'd already been told by the, the Belgian under-21 manager that he would more than likely going to use his plate lose his place for the uh Europe the Euros uh in the summer because Standard had said to him he will not be playing at all if he doesn't sign this contract. Doesn't matter. So he had to get out of there this window, which only kind of <laughs> makes me I, I I you know, agree with, with Chris and Dave. I have no idea what goes up goes on in Ross Wilson's head at times. I really don't. Because I know, listening to uh, a couple of Belgian podcasts and stuff like that, that Marseille had made an offer, there was German clubs had made an offer, the they, they, standard had pretty much accepted. So this boy has sat there and waited about for weeks for us to get our shit together, basically. Uh, and I don't understand it. I, I've, I've actually got to the point where Ross Wilson has now become a puzzle wrapped in an enigma for me. I, I just don't get him at all. But going back to Raskin, yeah, the little bits of footage I have seen of him, he looks a very tidy player, looks aggressive, looks technically very gifted. Um, but the proof's in the pudding. Um, we'll wait and see what he brings to Rangers because, yeah, he, he does look a good player in the Belgian league and he, he has looked very tidy for standard Liège. But as far as I'm aware, Rangers own Belgian football, don't they? Eddie, I'm, I'm just conscious, obviously, that Andrew's still to come in here. But I, I think the, the overall point here is, um, I think to kind of uh, articulate it maybe a wee bit better, is I think it was you who said it, Eddie. We, we went through January undefeated. We won all our games with the exception of the Celtic game. And I don't think Cantwell or even Raskin would have made... A material difference in that game anyway, because obviously the the getting them in would have had maybe one or two training session, sessions, if that. Um, I think the point here is we get two players late in the window um, and we got away with it because obviously we won all our games with the current squad. How can we point to that and say that Michael Beale was helped out massively? So, that- so we'll, we'll come to that, right? Yeah. But I, I think it's important just to get our feel on the two players but we will come to that because there's a few other bits and pieces that connect into the was Michael Beale helped in this window or not which uh, you know you've kind of given away there that I don't think many of us are going to be heading down the direction of he was but we will we will come to that let's I mean there's only the two well we've only got one um little bit of analysis left for Raskin and then we'll we'll move on to that so Andrew the last bit I was going to bring up about Raskin is the impact on the squad now Spoiler alert, I didn't actually see last night's game. I was busy due to work commitments. Um, But from all the reports that I've heard, there was a massive improvement from Lundstrom and Kamara. And now, personally, the only thing I can see that's made that jump in performance from them is the pressure on their positions. So with the additions of Camwell and then Raskin, do you think that's had the impact? Maybe he's not on the pitch from them to themselves quite yet, but had that impact on the, the midfield and let them realise, you know, your, your position isn't a granted thing anymore. You're actually going to have to earn it. I think that's it. Um, you know, there, there's a difference in knowing that the player who's fighting for your position is James Sands, who all the love in the world to a fellow American, but he's not exactly scaring Lundstrom or Kamara out of their jersey. I say, man, that's some American <laughs> on American crime there. <laughs> well, that's fairly, you know, that's as close as the Americans get to uh, any kind of tradition, really. So um, anyway, the point is that I think bringing in two midfielders and certainly someone with a pedigree of Raskin, someone who you could point to and say he's expected to be starting every game um, and Campbell certainly coming up with a reputation as well. I, I can only think that provides additional motivation to players. I'm sure we'll come on to 
if that's appropriate or not. You know, do we want to trust players who do get motivated only by that kind of thing? I think inevitably it's human nature. You know, it's it's going to be a kick up the arse of some degree or other. You know, you, you have a skilled player coming in. You, you are going to want to fight for your position. And I think... It's a philosophy that I think Gerard talked about, you know, in his in his spell here. Um, and obviously, you know, Mick Beale, we can almost, almost see as a continuation of that, if not an evolution of that, where we wanted two strong players fighting for every position. And I think it's because it provides that competitiveness within the squad. You know, a lot of the games where we were extremely poor under Geo have been down to that lack of competitiveness. You know, you only need to look at our injury record for this season to say, you know, we did we had games where the squad picked itself because they were basically the only fit first teamers. So for for me, you know, looking at the performance of Kamara and Lundstrom last night, it's undeniable that that has had an impact on it. As I think as much as Mick Beal might like to take credit for all of their improved performance himself, Lundstrom has not looked at it at all this season. Um, and that was his best game for us this season. Um, Kamara, I think, can be a neat and tidy player, but it's it's difficult to say if he performs consistently in big games. Last night was a big game. Um, you know, we're, we're going to Tyne Castle. Better teams than this have struggled there, uh, and the performance we put on was great. So, if this is the impact they're having when they're not in the team, I <laughs> can only be very excited about what happens when they actually do play. You know? Yeah, I think that's a very um, good point. Like you say, it is human nature. You get put under pressure, you start to perform a little bit better. So that's the two signings that we did make. Now, the next part of the conversation has to be shifted more in the direction of signings that we should have made and signings we were linked with, but ultimately signings we didn't make. So I think almost everyone in the Rangers support will happily admit that the club needs to sign a new goalkeeper. McGregor's been a wonderful servant over the years. He's produced blinding save after blinding save over a excellent career, but there's no denying last season and this season he's just a shadow of, of the goalie that he was. John McLaughlin came in and unfortunately picked up an injury from having to take the ball out the net so often and then young McCrory just doesn't seem to be the man stepping up so we all kind of were aware we needed a goalkeeper but we were told early on that a goalkeeper wasn't on the cards at the moment Um, I think we've all kind of identified that we need to be kind of looking more at a winger as well we could do with some defensive um, support and also at one point, it looked like we were absolutely desperate for a striker, and I still would say we're kind of fairly calling out for one, even though Morelos is going through a bit of a, a, a purple patch again. So over the course of the transfer window, the only real links that we had was um, there was a brief link with Cho Sung, who Celtic were also linked with, the South Korean striker. Um, we touched on that in an earlier pod. I think we said that he was the kind of player that the profile fit. We should be looking at that kind of player, but I don't think any of us knew an awful lot about him. And we did mention that it was probably agent talk. And then the other player we were linked with was Morgan Whitaker, who, again, it was one of those will he, won't he sagas, which ultimately ended in a won't he. So the Rangers transfer window was more didn't happen than did happen. So I think um, we at this point, we kind of just need to, analyze the overall job of Ross Wilson in that transfer window and as Chris um, touched on whether or not that support is adequate for Michael Beale coming in as a new manager with a real big gap to try and overcome and Kenny I know you have a particularly passionate thought on this uh, particular element of the conversation so I'm going to let you go on a on a solo run here for a few minutes and just tell us your opinion on the Ross Wilson January transfer window overall situation okay well wait to start um look the simple fact here is that we we are the team that sits nine points behind right we are the team that need to get our players in and time after time after time year after year we're behind them in this uh and and trying to get this right but now this coincides with Ross Wilson coming in. It really does. Uh, Now, here's my issue. We need a centre-half. We're short there. If Conor Goldson or Ben Davies get injured again, we're going to have a chaotic situation at the back. We've got no cover at full-back position. Yilmaz has been injured for months. He will not be back anytime soon. We've got Adam Devine covering for Borna Barisic, when he should be covering 
for James Tavernier. We've got our midfielders. That's fine. I'm happy with that. We need a right winger. We need a striker. Um, we need two goalkeepers. Now, the, the bottom line with this for me is we have a situation here with just looking at that off the top of it. That's before anybody leaves, if you know what I mean. We've got, I think it's seven or eight out of contract at the you know at the end of this season. We have a massive, massive rebuild on our hands when we're playing second fiddle. We've finished the season before last 25 points clear of our major rivals. We're now sitting, having lost the league last year by four points, nine points behind them this year. Now, what is that? A 38-point swing in, what, 20 months? Meanwhile, Ross Wilson sits there, can't get a right winger in, can't get a centre-half in. Arsie's about all month getting two you know, midfielders in. Meanwhile, we are sitting there with a kid that's had, what, half a dozen, not even that, three or four appearances uh, in Adam Devine as cover for both fullback positions and people are actually I, I don't know what's going on actually with the Rangers support that they seem quite happy with that because we are in a situation here where I'm I, and I don't want to talk about them but we're watching them build from a position of strength that is my concern meanwhile we flaff about yet another transfer window but <laughs> this is on the back of a, a, a pretty appalling summer transfer window, which was on the back of an even more appalling January window last year, yet time and again, at the end of a transfer window, all Rangers fans seem to see at the minute is, well, we've got a couple in, they're great players and that's fine. It really isn't fine. We are in a, a we are playing behind the eight ball here and I, I, I just wish that the majority of Rangers fans would wake up and see that, that we... If we don't get this summer right, you think of the pressure that Michael Beale is going to be under in October or November next year. They'd have only been there less than a year, but that's my issue. Ross Wilson gave him nothing for these two cup ties that we've just played this month. He didn't have any players in. He's just let him play with the same squad that is a tired old squad. We are in a situation time after time after time where I just sit there at the end of a window, kind of scratching my head. We, we've, we're wasting money. As David said earlier on, three million quid in Rabi Matondo, and he can't make a squad at all. Meanwhile, we're getting told that, oh, the money's tight, we've got to get the money right. Well, if, the, if Ross Wilson stops squandering millions upon millions upon millions of pounds on projects, injury-prone players, older players giving older players at 37, 38, 40, all these players new, new extended contracts and actually built a squad befitting Rangers Football Club, I'd be happy. And you didn't disappoint there, Kenny. Um, we came in expecting a lovely rant and you provided exactly what we were after. Honestly, Eddie, it's a joke. I, I, I'm not I'm not trying to be funny about this either and I'm not just going on a rant for the sake of it. I actually don't think there's a number of Rangers fans actually see this situation as it truly is. We have got a huge rebuild in the summer now because he didn't get the four that Michael Beale wanted in, Eddie. He didn't get them. He only got two. A manager yeah. wanted four. Yeah. No, no, that's a very good point because Michael Beale did say at the start of the window he was hoping to bring in about four players. I think while Ross Wilson, you raise a good point about the fans and a lot of them being happy. I, I think it's more a desperate clutch to be happy about something um, and, and a bit of a case of Ross Wilson may not have brought players to the club, but he certainly brought an air of apathy to the club where we're now just willing to accept that kind of status quo situation at the moment, which isn't right and we should be demanding more. Andrew, I'm going to come to you before I hit Chris and Dave because I, I certainly know what direction they're going to take it. Can you bring any positives to the Ross Wilson January transfer window? Uh, so the McBill quote was actually he wanted two to four players. So just in the interest of being fair. There we go. He's um, done it. Yeah. He brought, he brought um, the 
And, Ross Wilson, and I, uh, wanted two to four, and Ross Wilson gave him his two. Well done, exactly, job done. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've had requests like that at work where someone's asked me to, you know, do, you know, X of something, and I've provided the exactly the bare minimum, and everyone loves that from me, obviously. Um, look, I, I, I'm not going to disagree with a lot of what Kenny said there because I think he is right, um, and certainly I'm not going to be someone who's going to defend Ross Wilson's record overall. Um, He is in a situation where he's probably made more bad calls than good calls. Um, But what I will say is that I think this transfer window in isolation by itself has been good. Not fantastic, not amazing, but I think it's been good because we have added two quality players who are of the right profile, the right calibre, don't have the injury record of someone like John Suter. Um, You know, they're, they're players that we can we can bring in and you know, look to potentially build a team around, or at least look as though they have potential. Um, and he's not, you know, renewed a 40-year-old's contract as well. So that, that's that's all I'll say in, in terms of counterbalancing what I'm sure will be a number of other negative points that will get brought up uh, shortly by Dave and Chris. But for me, like, I, I, I know that I tend to be a bit more optimistic about these things uh, in general, but... You know, I'm I'm relaxed about this transfer window. The transfer strategy overall, I mean, we can look back at any number of pods that I've previously been on where I have criticised Ross Wilson because, you know, the resources that we've had, you know, the the positions that we've been in where we should have capitalised from a position of strength, um, we haven't taken advantage of that. But in isolation, this, this transfer window, I do feel happy with. To be fair, I gave you a difficult task there, and you did a not bad job of bringing some positives to it. So fair play to you, Dave. I'm going <laughs> to come to you. Um, I'm going to narrow in a bit more specific. Kenny touched on the fan reaction and how a lot of the fans are happy with the business done. Now, I do think a lot of that is because the two players we've brought in are obviously of quality, but it almost seems to have bought Ross Wilson a pass for now. And, and it truly will be a short-term pass. But why do you think that is? Why do you think the fans are happy to give them a pass on that January transfer window just because of these two? Uh, I don't I don't necessarily know if we've given them a pass. People are happy with the signings, but I think if you dug into it, certainly the circles I'm moving in Twitter, are, there's a, ne- a thread of negativity. And I don't know if social media is necessarily the best barometer, but uh, we felt the same last year. We thought, oh, Rob, Aaron Ramsey absolutely wowed us all. We were fatued. I was, I was the same. I was totally taken aback by it. What Not me. I, I warned everyone. You, warned you, you did. all. You, you did, mate. You did. Um, we, I thought it was the biggest signing since Gaza. I, thought I was taking it. Football fans, and I include myself in that, are fickle. Good results and, what unquote big signings kind of pull the wool over your eyes. But I think for me, and as Kenny says, you need to zoom out and look at the bigger picture and look at Wilson's record since he came in, the windows we've had, and out of about I mean, looking at the list now, I won't count it, but of 25 players, there is a literal handful who are of any use whatsoever. And of those, there are a few who you couldn't put your house on turning in a 8 out of 10 performance every week. So I don't just think we need to get the summer right. We need to get the next two or three windows bang on to unpick the damage that's been done. We all laughed when the comments were made earlier in the season about the best squad we've ever seen. And that was in September or October before the signings had even bedded in, and we all knew that that was just, frankly, pish. And that's been borne out. The squad is as unbalanced, as threadbare, and as mismanaged a squad as I can ever recall seeing at Ibrox. Warburton's squad building was better than the the, the balance, the profile, the ages, the contract lengths, the, the overall composition of the squad is as poor as I can ever remember from a serious Rangers team taking aside the, the lower league years. And even then, you could probably say that some of them were, were assembled with a bit more deafness and care. We're saddled with a lot of dead weight that we'll struggle to get rid of. The injury issues are also under the remit of the director of football. There was a thread on Twitter today about this AI injury company that we, Hull, Liverpool and Real Salt Lake have all used. And every one of them has had a pretty much worst ever injury crisis. So that's part of the director of football's remit as well, if I'm not mistaken. So the whole picture under Wilson has been one nothing short of mismanagement. And as Kenny says, if you told me this 
when we won 55 and seemed set for a few years, maybe not a dominance, but certainly a few years of being the top dogs, I, I would never have believed how bad it would have got. And I think until, to answer your actual question, until the fans collectively wake up to this and there is a fan group who can hold the board to account and can put pressure to remove those in positions of power that we can see are failing, then there won't be change. That's the only reason I'm on this pod, to try and inspire some sort of revolution, really. Is that you putting yourself forward to start the fan group? Nah, I, I don't know if I've got the gravity. People who seek power shouldn't be given it a day. I'm just here to sort of <laughs> foment revolution somewhere else. Hopefully somebody will take up the, the cudgels in my behalf. Well, speaking of people who seek power, we're going to move on to Chris. <laughs> but before we um, unleash you, Chris, I'm just going to, in the interest of fairness, I'm going to read out the entirety of Ross Wilson's January transfer window. So he brought in Todd Cantwell from Norwich for an undisclosed fee. He brought in Nicholas Raskin from Standard Liège for an undisclosed fee. Noting that we have a overinflated squad full of a number of players who are probably past their peak or very injury prone. Part of his remit was obviously to get rid of some of that dross, is the word I'm going to use. And he saw fit to sell Charlie McCann to Forest Green Rovers, um, an exciting young prospect who perhaps wasn't getting the time in the first team that he'd hoped he would get. And he loaned out Tony Weston to Cove Rangers. And that is the entirety of Rangers' January transfer window business. So, Chris, I'm going to take you off the lead now and let you run free on the Ross Wilson January transfer window and give you free reign to discuss every and all aspect that you'd like to go over. I actually think he's been fairly harsh. I think Ross Wilson's done a good job, so um, I, I can't believe some of the things you were saying. Nah. Andrew, can you cut that just so we can put that on the TikTok later? <laughs> yeah, no, that, that'll be the trailer for the show, mate. <laughs> uh, I, think, I think you have to look at It's so easy to miss the points because they're staring you right in the face. Um, and I think that's, I don't want to say the issues with some Rangers fans, I, I think that's the problem because we're that badly run that it's hard to remember that the issues are so deep-rooted in one man's doing. You look at the goalkeeping situation, we've got a 40-year-old giving a new contract in the summer, we've got a 35, 36-year-old as a deputy who isn't good enough, and there's a 23-, 24-year-old who's just been given a new contract who is also quite clearly not good enough because if he was good enough he would have been playing that was created entirely by Ross Wilson Kenny's point we have no right back other than James Tavernier because the other right back is actually deputising at left back um, because the star signing left back is injured the centre backs we've got two fit one's shown that he's quite injury prone in Ben Davis the other is an absolute machine so I don't expect Conor Golson to break down again but if any of them two get injured the other signing that Ross Wilson made John Sutter is also currently injured you look at the midfield, yeah, he's finally addressed it, but he's had five, six windows to address that and never addressed it. You look at the wide men, he's brought in Scott Wright, he's brought in Rabbi Matondo, he's brought in another one or two that I can't even I can't even think right now because there's been that many of them coming through Ibrox that end up getting out the door. And then you look at the striker situation um, where, you know, Morelos um, and Kent, for that, for that matter, are both out of contract, two of their biggest assets. And then you look what happened last summer when Connor Golson, another massive asset, went all the way down to the last day. The average age of the squad has been up massively. Um, we're nine points behind. We've won one league out of three under Ross Wilson. We're looking at one league out of four now. We're standing in the barrel of that. Um, and how anybody can say that this is just, you know, Gio's fault or Gerald's fault or Mark Allen's fault or just bad luck, It's there's a theme here. Every single situation that we are in as a squad, the goalkeeping situation, the fullback situation, the defender situation, the wide men situation, um, it's at the average age situation, the contract situation, it's all caused by one man, and it's it's Ross Wilson. Um, I look at Michael Beale saying that he wanted a defender. Jake Cooper was mentioned. For whatever reason, that didn't happen. Um, I have no idea why. But then I look, you know, literally up the road, and I see a defender who I get isn't everybody's cup of tea, but potentially could be playing in the English Premier League next year. And he leaves for £400,000. Of course, I'm talking about Ryan Porteous, right? I'm not saying Ryan Porteous would have come in and dislodged Ben Davis and Colin Golson. But certainly you try to tell me that Ryan Porteous isn't a better option than Leon King if one of the two break down. Of course he is, but we just sat in our arse and watched them leave the shores as we did with Lewis Ferguson, Josh Doig and Aaron Hickey. 
I look at Millwall getting a bid accepted for Kevin Nisbet, what was it, 1.5 million? And I'll, I watched us do nothing about it, um, despite the fact that, you know, we could be doing with a player like Kevin Nisbet. You try to say Kevin Nisbet doesn't, Kevin Nisbet doesn't come in and help Rangers, of course he would. Um, it's, you know, it's more likely to, if, if that is. I can't say it's a cast iron guarantee, obviously. I've seen plenty of SBFL players come to Rangers and not make the grade, but um, everything, his age, profile and stuff like that, even down his injury record was perfect for Ross Wilson, but you know we 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 just sat about watching watching um, lesser teams almost take him away. Um, we watched Swansea take the piss out of us with Morgan Whitaker, and that is what they did do. They, they that that wasn't Rangers trying to play hardball or Rangers trying to get the tube. You know, Swansea took the piss out of us. We get in a cat and mouse chase with a player that, in my opinion, isn't worth getting in a cat and mouse chase about. Um, and then it just comes down to really. How can anybody say that Michael Beale was helped fully this this uh, this January window? Because Kenny again to his uh, to his point was we had two cup ties, a semi final and a very difficult cup tie at St Johnson, where by the way we'd been defeated this season already. No new players in the building. We had games at Pitodre, we had games at Rugby Park. No new players in, and then it all comes down to this. Really, the, the kind of um, fleeting statement is you know. If somebody came to me in January the first of this year and said to me that Rangers would would have the exact same team lineup in February the first, with no new players, with no players leaving, two late arrivals, no new contracts, and um, would be treating players coming back from injury as new signings, I wouldn't have been surprised, but I would have said, hopefully we've learnt our lessons from windows gone by, and it wouldn't be like that. But it's now we're recording on February the second, and. Rangers had the exact same team lineup as the February the first as they did in January the first. No players left, despite a, a, a huge squad. We'd also have no new contracts, i.e. Kent, Morelos, Jack. We would have players coming back from injury, Haji, Roof, Suter, Yilmaz, who the fans are describing as being like new signings. That's the facts. And I suppose that's my point. Before a ball was kicked in this window, we could all have predicted that this was, was going to happen. We were going to wait to the last minute. We wouldn't be signing uh, any new players down to new contracts. We'd be hint, um, hedging our bets on players coming back for injury. Um, it would be lastminute.com for getting players in the door. And the reason that we could have predicted that is because that's the theme. And how anybody in their right mind can defend Ross Wilson um I'm sorry to say this, it's a very, very derogatory term and it's a very strong derogatory term, but you you are a happy clapper. You have to open your eyes and Ross Wilson is an enemy to Rangers Football Club. We've went back the way, we've we've squandered money, we've signed the wrong players, we've got inflated uh, wage bill. Um, Again, I come back to Matondo, there's no agenda to Rabbi Matondo, I'm sure he's a very nice guy, but he's not a very good football player and he's one of the highest paid players at Rangers. Um, And he's on a very nice kind of four or five year contract on 30 grand a week. He's not going to be in any rush to leave Rangers Football Club, why would he? Um, And that's, that's, that's what happens now. Um, players see us as an easy touch agents sorry agents see us as an easy touch and we get just cannon fodder and um, Raskin and Cantwell seem to be the exception to the rule hopefully um, happy with they two I want to reiterate again that again I'm absolutely delighted that I've got they two in the, the, the building um, but that doesn't mean that we've had a good window because we've not um, we're still a couple short we're still under equipped and um, you know the, the point that we cannot miss here is we are still nine points behind and um you know it's it's no it's no all rosy in the garden um as i said you know i'm happy to wait until the summer to see how the complete rebuild is going to go but a good and i'm not even exaggerating here a good eight to ten need to leave rangers that process should have started in january are we going to really realistically expect eight to ten leaving in the summer no players are going to be kept they shouldn't be kept at rangers this summer again and we're going to have to carry them and then the process repeats and um the guy who's in charge of replacing the players who will leave is the guy who's quite clearly shown over a period of time with a body of work that he's not up to the task so um that's 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 my run and you will not Absolutely, categorically, you will not move me from that um, that that opinion. Uh, Ross Wilson, his time should be up, but I have this major, major fear, and I have had it for a long while now, that the success of Nathan Patterson and Calvin Bassey has 
essentially kept Ross Wilson in a job until he feels that he wants to leave, which just shouldn't be the way for Rangers Football Club. Rangers, Rangers sporting directors, again, it's a fairly new uh, concept for us as fans, but Rangers sporting directors shouldn't be judged on who they sell. It should be who they bring in. And um, Ross Wilson's record in that respect is quite frankly just not good enough. I'll give you one positive that is all left out. We didn't waste millions on some short-term loans that were destined to fail this January transfer window, which I think at the start of the window we were all anticipating. So at least that didn't happen this time around. Okay, I think there's only really one last thing to do on this pod because we've we've discussed the players. We've discussed make, make a round table about Moran. Did you enjoy that? Any any feedback on the rant idea? That I'm quite precious like that. Was, was it good? Bad? Average? I mean, I'll be honest, I, I stopped listening. <laughs> See, that's my worry. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 it was good. You, you did, you brought up some some really good points. And you're right, it's a derogatory term to say happy clappers, but it's it's kind of hard to think of other terms for anyone who isn't annoyed at the situation we're in just now and continually defends it. But, you know, everyone's entitled to their own opinion. And, and just because everyone that we know, or at least everyone on the pod um, isn't particularly happy. Doesn't mean there's not people out there who are happy. And if if sitting nine points behind and struggling in the league and struggling against teams like Aberdeen in the cup keeps them happy, then that's fine. That's up to them. Um, so the last thing really to do on this one in regards to the transfer window and Ross Wilson in general, I'm going to go around you all. If you could just give me a, a scorecard um, rating for Ross Wilson, First of all, for how he's done in this January transfer window and his overall transfer business to date. We'll, in kind of a nod to Andrew's Americanism, we'll do it report card style. And A is obviously, he's done a fantastic job with an F being a total failure. So Andrew, with that, I'll come to you first then. So for January transfer window and overall transfer business as two separate ratings. So this transfer window, I'd give it a B because uh, it's good, not great in my opinion, um, could have done more, but did, I think, what was absolutely necessary this window, which was getting those midfielders. So a B for the transfer window. Ross Wilson overall, though, that's like a D minus. You're, you're on the edge there, like any lower ants, you know, you get kicked out of school, you know. Um, yeah, not not up to scratch in terms of his long-term overall record. But, you know, that last month's been good. Not great. But good. Okay, Mr. Soliloquy himself, Chris. What, what was the? Was it an F? Is it? Is the F the, is a total failure. Right. Okay. So the this window, I would rate a C because two good players have come in, but the way we conducted ourselves in terms of the how, how long it took, and and also the fact that at the very, very, very least, one more should have been added. Um, I would give him a C for that. So the good is two good players have come in quite clearly, um, not coming quick enough. However, we got away with it. Which is if 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 that's if that's the attitude of Ross Wilson that we got away with it, then that's fine. You know that wouldn't surprise me, but I I don't think that's relevant because at the end of the day the manager should have had the best amount of ammunition possible to him to go into the fight, um, and he didn't. Um, overall, F double negative, double no- negative F. I don't know, like the worst you could get. The, the so you're, you're, sus- you're basically you're going to suspend him for just not even turning in his homework. That that's even that sounds as if he's got away with it. Though. Um, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> I don't want I don't want to get any kind of libel. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Dave, what's your your two scores? Right, uh, I went to school with a lassie who in the higher prelim maybe anyway. Where on earth is this going? Right, and we. History, geography, and modern studies were part of the same sort of grouping in my school. I don't know if it's the same in other schools. So the exams were simultaneous. And she went into the exam hall and sat a geography paper when she was supposed to be sitting a modern studies paper. And because it was a prelim, <laughs> she got some sort of compensatory mark, right? In order to not have to do it again. That's Ross Wilson's transfer window. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's one of the best stories I've ever heard. <laughs> He's, she, she, she was so out of touch to put it kindly with what she was meant to be doing she had no idea that she was fucking writing about oxbow lakes and the weather cycle instead of like fucking the foundation of Holyrood or first past the post voting or whatever it was that was the level she was operating at and i firmly believe that's the level ross wilson's operating at so it's a, a compensatory pass in the, this window to extend this tortured schooling analogy do you remember the guy who masqueraded 
as a six year at Bearsden Academy when he was really in his thirties. I have no recollection of this, but I'm right, interested. Look, you've right, got, look got, it up. Hopefully some of the listeners will get it. Kenny, do you remember that? Vaguely, yeah. Right, there's a guy who basically re-enrolled, he was Canadian, Scottish-Canadian, and he came back to Scotland and re-enrolled in school at age 35 as a 17-year-old or whatever. And eventually, eventually he found out that is Russell Wilson overall. His name was Brian McKinnon. Brian McKinnon. So effectively, Ross Wilson is pulling the same sort of stunt as that guy. He is in a role that he is completely and utterly unfit for unsuited for and should be hounded out at the first opportunity but unfortunately he's pulled the wool over enough people's eyes that he's been allowed to stay in so overall Ross Wilson's it's, it's a fucking Z minus it's an out of school bombed out league, should be legal action taken to get rid of him okay and Kenny finally how am I to follow that hand on heart uh, barely, That's a different podcast. Yeah, barely gets a C for this window for me to be honest with you. Two good signings. I wanted it more. I think our manager wanted more, uh, and I expected four, five, maybe even six players out this window. I think that was. I, I remember saying this uh, on the pod a while back that it's more important we get players out. There's far too much dead dead wood, and he got apart from Charlie McCann, nothing's left. It's that's poor. So barely give him a C because of the, the the two good signings, and I'm not giving him much credit for them. I think they're Michael Beal signings anyway. Um, overall, um, it's an E, uh, bordering on an F. It really is. Uh, it it's horrific. It, it, he's got to go. Uh, I, nothing personal about the guy, as I said before. I've never met him. Don't know anything about him, but. What a poor, poor job he's doing up there. So I'll give him just about an E. That that and that's me being kind, I think. Okay, well I think with all them ratings we can probably safely collate them to an overall C for this January transfer window and an F as a general consensus for his um overall job that he's done. So there's nothing left for me to do on this podcast other than to thank the listener for joining us. Um please make sure to Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Um, If you can like and retweet all of our podcasts as well and try and encourage your friends to join us, we will be remaining free um, on this podcast. Our kind of design is to just leave this as free and open to air as long as possible. It is a labour of love for the team here, and we do appreciate all of your support. If you have enjoyed this podcast, um, feel free to contact us on contact at saturday at 3.co.uk with any recommendations of further deep dives you'd like us to see i think potentially we've got one lined up and we might try and get that next week where we look into the case of brian mckinnon slash brandon lee the 30 year old man who went back to bears den academy in 1995 and but no other than that i've just got my guests to thank so i'll start off with dave dave thank you for joining us tonight cheers mate cathartic i think is the best word for that Yes, that's a good word to describe it. Kenny, thanks to you as well. Uh, thanks, Eddie. That was good. Enjoyed that. And Andrew, um, it's always nice to be on a podcast with yourself. I know you're usually stuck behind doing all the important stuff and making sure we don't all sound like idiots, but it's nice to have you actually on the podcast contributing as well. Well, I mean, that's only from an audio perspective. I can't be held accountable for what you actually say and do during the podcast. <laughs> so, But no, I, I, again, Eddie, as you said, it's, it's a pleasure to be on with you guys. So, So thank you, mate. And speaking about not sounding like idiots, thanks as well to Chris, the usual host who gave up the chair for one night and one night only. Um, yeah, no, thanks very much. Also, could I just say um, uh, there'll be a, a link in the description of this podcast for one of our good friends. Um, you'll see him on Twitter, Berdrick. His dad is in a support group and he needs some votes um, because Asda are doing some sort of kind of campaign um, to help his support group get I, I'm not quite sure what it is they're going to get I mean I'm probably doing this a complete injustice but I told Beldrick that I, I would anyway he was invited on but he shot himself but um, if you could sign up and vote for uh, his his support group which is alluded me at the moment Eddie if you can quickly go on Twitter and remind me what it was it's called. yeah give us two seconds was it Blantyre support group maybe um, can I just point out that Beldrick didn't actually 
Soil himself, and he isn't requiring a support group. Also, he was just a little bit too scared to come on the podcast. No, yeah, good clarification, good clarification. Yeah, but I am um, essentially you just vote for the support group which Eddie is looking for just now. Put your email in, and then you'll get an email to confirm your vote, and then that's the vote counted. And I think at last count they were in the lead. So if you could do that for us, that'd be very much appreciated. I've got to say, he tweets too much. I can't find the tweet, man. The uh, the link will be in the description of the pod in any event. So um, we'll make it nice and easy for everyone to go and stack the votes in Bedrick's favour. Yeah. You can see we're very, very prepared here. Found it. There we go. So it's called, the support group are called Pals Plus. Um, they're a social group who meet together to play games and chat and help each other with the aftermath of a stroke. So a very important group that provides a community of peers who will all understand each other's kind of situation and and some of the challenges that they've faced post-stroke and helps build them back up and helps make some lifelong friends going forward. So a very important cause and it would be great if you could all go and vote for it just to get them a little bit of extra support. 